Just keep on praying, he's listening to you. And prayer is just as big as God is. Prayer is just as strong as God is strong. Prayer can reach as far as God can reach. Don't ever give up. Just pray, just pray, don't ever give up, just pray. And prayer is just as big as God is. Prayer is just as strong as God is strong. Prayer can reach as far as God can reach. Just pray, just pray, don't ever give up, just pray. Well, tonight, once again, we are certainly honored to have with us Brother Houston and his wife. And uh, we're certainly glad that they were here this morning. What a message. What a powerful, powerful proclamation. And we certainly enjoyed that. At least I trust you did. You're here tonight, so obviously you saw and heard and experienced what the Lord was doing in your heart. And we're certainly glad you came back again for round two. And uh, I'm not sure what he's going to preach. He said he might preach on something, uh, you know, already. But he said that might not be the case. So we'll see when he gets up here where the Lord's led him. But I'm certainly excited. Looking forward to hearing from Brother Houston again. Why don't you come preach for us, would you please, Brother? Amen. Thank you, preacher, for letting me be here. God bless you. Amen. Well, I'm glad to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. Amen. I'm glad to be in God's house. Let your face show it. Amen. 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 You've had to stand up here and look at some of your faces. You know what I'm talking about. Amen. <laughs> if you're not enjoying the service, put a smile on their face because I think I got a tree, a coon tree when, I, when you don't have a smile on your face. Amen. Do you want to take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 21 with me, if you would, this evening? Glad to be here. I tell you what, uh, 
I love your preacher. Now, we, 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 we are at football camp together, but we don't really get to fellowship much there. Uh, you're on a specific color. He's graduated at football camp. I guess you knew that. Amen. He said that young Matt graduated up into the singles class. He graduated to varsity head coach. Amen. So he's graduated. So he's one of my arch rivals now. Amen. I appreciate it. He can sing and preach both. Amen. That's not fair. Amen. I just, I appreciate great music here. This is a great church. All right. I hope you understand what you have here. Yes, 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 sir. Yes, ma'am. I tell you, I travel the country. And uh, there are good churches, there are great churches, but you have got a great church here. Went over and saw the new building today. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Praise the Lord. Amen. That's exciting. Bible says in Proverbs, where there is no vision, the people perish. Amen. And there's a vision here. Your pastor has a vision. Amen. And uh, people will perish if you don't have a vision. Well, we've done enough. Nope, never done enough till Jesus comes back. Amen. Amen. God in, God in for sitting down on our leaves, amen, and taking it easy. He's not for us looking back, amen. Always living the Christian life by faith, amen. Without faith, it's impossible to please Him. What is faith? The substance of things hoped for. A new building. The evidence of things not seen, amen. And then what's going to happen there, amen? Have a vision of what God can do. Nothing too hard for God, amen. Vision what God can, what, what God can do with you. If he can use the jawbone of an ass, he can use me, amen? And he can use you, amen? Be a vision of what you can do through God. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me, amen? And then get a vision of what you can do together. Amen. Or two are better than one, or three full cord is not easily broken. That which every joint supplieth make increase of the body, amen? This work is here because you have a great man of God, but it's also here, here because there's a great group of people that are working and laboring to support the man of God. Amen? Amen. And thank God for that. Don't lose your vision. Don't lose your church. Don't lose what God has for you. Four things are killing our churches. It's not my message, but four things are killing our churches. Uh, Division. Supposed to be in unity, folks. You got a problem, deal with it. Amen. Everybody else isn't wrong. Amen. Dereliction. If you're not doing something in this ministry, God puts you here to do something. Get busy. Desertion. I hate church hopping. Amen. God puts you here. Stay here. Well, I don't like to call it a carpet. Well, grow up. Amen. Get over it. Amen. It doesn't matter what color the carpet is. It doesn't matter what building you meet in. The church is the body of Christ. Amen. Those are are ridiculous things to be fighting over. Amen. Last thing killing our churches is dollars. And I don't look like there's a problem with that here. Thank God for your giving. Can I tell you, if you don't give, God's work can't get done. Amen. It is your giving that allows the souls to be saved. They're being saved. And by the way, when you get to heaven, every soul that got saved is yours. If you gave, every soul that got saved is yours. If you gave to mission, every, every soul and missionary that this church supported led to Christ. That's your soul. You know what the crown of rejoicing is? It's when God allows you to see how many people got saved because of you. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Well, I led five people, Lord. Yeah, but your church led how many to the Lord? And your missionaries had led how many to the Lord? He that soweth and he that reapeth rejoice together. Amen. Amen. Paul said that fruit may abound to your account. Amen. And no greater investment than the Lord's work. Amen. Amen. 
I would get busy investing my life and my, and my, and my dollars in the Lord's work. Amen. So great church, don't forget it. And I'm glad to be here. I was rebuked by Brother Bill Hill this morning. Where's he at? <laughs> Brother Bill Hill would never rebuke anybody, would he? I haven't been here long to figure that guy out. Amen. Praise the Lord for him. I love him. Amen. But I didn't introduce my wife this morning, and I'm going to introduce my wife tonight, Brother Hill. Amen. <laughs> so, Julie, if you'd stand up, please. This is my wife of 39 years. Her name is Julie, and she's a wonderful wife, and she's been a good helpmeet to me. And behind every man of God, if he has any success at all, there is a good wife. Amen. I could not do what I do if my wife was not willing to do what God had asked of her to follow me. Amen. Now, she didn't marry a preacher, she married a football coach. I don't know which is worse, amen? But anyway, she did, amen. Well, let's look at our Bibles in Luke chapter 21. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for the good room. Enjoyed lunch today with Brother Pete and Miss Billy uh, O'Donnell, amen? Are they at? They leave me? There they are. It's been a great tour, Amen. <laughs> He kept saying that this morning. I love that guy. Where's he at? He is excited. Amen. If you're, if you're having trouble, be excited. Get around preacher's dad. Amen. He is excited as can be. I'm telling you what, he is about to come unglued on what's going here. Amen. I like it, man. I, I don't like being around these pessimists. Amen. Well, we don't need to be Eeyores. Amen. All right. Amen. In God's work, we're, you know, uh, things are tough. Things are difficult. And we've got some things we need to deal with. That's quite the truth. But, uh, but we as God's people, we need to hang on to the wonderful promises and the wonderful thing of being a Christian. Amen. Luke chapter 21, stand with me if you would, please. I must give you tonight the Reader's Digest uh, condensed version of this message. Uh, this message God gave to me uh, a couple years ago as he began to work in my heart about going around the country and I just want to be honest with you, I'm not apologize for this. I have a call to preach to see a revival in America. Now you may say this church does not need revival. I don't know if this church needs revival or not, but I know this, America needs a revival. Amen. And I'm going to tell you that that revival cannot come unless God's people have a revival. And somewhere there's got to be a revival that breaks out in America if America is going to have any hope. Now, I don't know if you understand this, but we're on our last legs, folks. I'm not trying to be doom and gloom. I'm not trying to make you feel bad tonight. But unless God steps in and something happens, America, as you and I know it, is very close to being gone. I can't tell you how many years. I have my own personal opinion, and I don't think it's... it's, it's it, I think most of us will still be living when it happens. And I'm not preaching revival for myself for on the 24th of this month. Remember that, if you would, please. Amen. On the 24th of this month, I'll be 60 years of age. I know I don't look at it. Amen. I knew that. I praise the Lord. God been good to me. I'm just kidding with you. Amen. And I never thought I'd be 60. To me, that's an old man, so I'm going to be an old man. But I'm not preaching revival for me. I'm preaching revival for my children. I'm preaching revival for my grandchildren. Because unless something happens in this country that gets outside our churches, our children and our churches are going to suffer like we have never suffered before. It's already happening in other places. It's soon to be in America. Already had a beheading in America. 
We've already had, we already have no-go zones in our country run by Sharia law where the police officers of our land cannot go in there and, 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 and execute the laws of the United States of America. 190,000 Islamic refugees are coming to this country in 2016. Baptist churches are closing their doors, being bought up by Muslim centers. The Muslims are at 1%, and they say when they get to 5% of the population, they can drastically affect a nation. Now, I'm not trying to scare you. I'm not trying to scare you. I'm not trying to worry you. I'm trying to say to you that there's a God in heaven who can overthrow all of that and can undo all of that and can bring His blessings upon our nation if we decide we want that. And it is totally up to God's people. It is not up to Washington. It is not up to Wall Street. It's totally up to God's people. And I just want to say something here going to make me, some of the folks hair-lipped, amen. But I don't believe somebody who preaches uh, baptism by, uh, by uh, or salvation by baptism is God's people. I don't believe somebody who preaches salvation by uh, babbling is God's people. I don't believe somebody who preaches salvation by being baptized in them and going through some classes and, 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 and claiming a confirmation are God's people. Amen. I mean, I think it says in the Bible, if any man preach any other gospel than I preach, let him be a curse. So that narrows it down. Who has the opportunity to have revival? It is those in this country, mostly Baptists. Amen. Who understand salvation by grace through faith plus nothing minus nothing, amen. Who have their doctrine right. God is looking down at us tonight and saying, I would love to spare America. But I need my people to do something. And we have a chance. The door's still open. The opportunity is still there. And God has raised up many evangelists traveling the country, heralding the message of revival to America right now. And so we need to let God do that if we, if we would. And maybe tonight revival will break out. Sixty years old, brother, I've never seen true revival. How many of you here have seen true revival? Let me tell you what true revival is. When God's people... Get so right with God that the community is changed. Liquor stores are shut down. Brothels are shut down. Tattoo parlors and movie houses are shut down. Beer joints are shut down. And a great harvest of souls takes place. In the first great awakening, 50,000 people a week got saved. In the Second Great Awakening, 500,000 converts. Not because people were out using their methods. Not because they were out using a Roman's road. And I'm not against that. But because the Holy Spirit of God got in the church so much that when the church went out with the power of God, people got saved. We are working hard, praise God, but we aren't seeing the results. Because we don't have the power of God on our lives anymore. God wants to fill the church with Himself. 
Amen. So this morning, this evening, before I get to preaching too much, let's get to our passage. Amen. Luke chapter 21 and verse 5. Luke 21 and verse 5, it says, As some spake of the temple, how it was adorned with goodly stones and gifts, he said, As for these things which ye behold, the days will come, in which there shall not be left one stone upon another, that shall not be thrown down. Everybody believes that that is an end-time prophecy. That is not an end-time prophecy. That prophecy was fulfilled in 70 A.D. The temple that Jesus was referring to was Herod's temple. The temple that Jesus went into was Herod's temple. In 70 A.D., Titus came in and destroyed the temple, destroyed the city of Jerusalem, and he spread the Jews throughout the world, which the Jews call the Diaspora. At that time, the Temple Mount was empty, and later the Dome of the Rock, built by the Muslims, is now seated on that place. In the future, during the tribulational period, I believe, or sometime in that period of time, the Jews are going to be allowed to rebuild the temple. But you understand something, he's not talking about that future event, not in the future, but a future event for them, which you and I look back on as history. Amen. Amen. Now, we'll just go over with me. I don't have time to read all the rest of it. But look down in verse number 24, if you would, please, very quickly. Verse 24, you can read in between there. And he says, And they shall fall, talking about the Jews, by the edge of the sword, and shall be led away captive, into all nations, that happened in 70 A.D., and Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles be fulfilled. I want you to notice the phrase, the time of the Gentiles be fulfilled. I said, that phrase is an interesting phrase. It didn't interest me at all until one day I was reading this passage and the Holy Spirit said, study the word Gentiles. And when, I, I, when you listen to God, you'll learn something. Amen? And so tonight I want to show you what God showed me from the Word of God. Let's pray. Father, now I need you tonight. These dear folks have been so good today. They've worked hard. I don't want to waste their time. Help me say only what I should say. Help me to bring this down and get the cookies on the bottom shelf. Lord, not to spend time on, on frivolous things, not to run rabbit trails. Help me to show them, dear Heavenly Father, where we're at and what we need to do, where America's at, and what America's importance is, please, Father, in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you. you. May be seated. I want to tell you there's four things that I love this, this evening. I want you to stand. I love God. Amen? Amen. I love God and I love God's work. Amen. I love God's work. I love the church. Amen. I love the church. I'm sick and tired of television evangelists. Yeah, I'm sick and tired of the Joel Osteens. Sick and tired of the J.D. Uh, T.G. Jakes. I'm sick and tired of all that crowd that taking all of God's money and putting it into a bunch of garbage instead of it being in a local church. Amen. Amen. I'm local church from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet. Amen. You can't have a church unless you're meeting together somewhere physically. And you can't have a church unless you have a, an, a, an ordained a, 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 a Baptist, or a, well, Baptist is what I like, amen, but unless you have an ordained minister. No man has the right to stand in front of a church and pastor unless he's been examined by the presbytery and had his hands laid upon him. Amen. That's a church. God say, God say, God gave some apostles, evangelists, preachers, teachers for the perfecting of the saints. You don't just do your own thing. God has an organized and an authoritative way of doing things. Amen. Amen. Well, that's free. You got that. Amen. I love God's work. I love the church. Number two, I love my family. 
I love my family. Are you with me? I love my family. Number three, I love America. Number four, number four, I love Israel. I should have put Israel above America. Amen. I love these things. And that's what we should be living our life for. We should be living our life for God. We should be living our life for our families. We should be living our life for Israel. Amen. I got news. I got, got time for this. I'm going to have to keep moving. And we should be living our life for America. America's special. Well, I began to study this. If you know anything, go with me to Genesis chapter number 9, if you would, please. If you know anything about studying something, God told me to study Gentiles. And so I thought, we'll study Gentiles. If you know about studying the Bible, let me tell you what you do about studying the Bible. Anytime you want to study something, you go to what's called the doctrine of first mention. Pastor knows what the doctrine of first mention is. Maybe you know what the doctrine of first mention is. But if you want to study anything, go to the doctrine of first mention. If I really want to know, because the Bible is line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little. There is no book of marriage. Wouldn't it be nice, Brother Kavanaugh, if God had given us one chapter that said marriage? In fact, it had been better if he'd given us a chapter called Husbands, amen? And then he gives a book called Wives, amen? And then he gives a book called uh, Children, amen? And then he gives a book called Brothers and Sisters. And he gives us a book called uh, Grandpas and Grandmas, amen? And then I could just open to that book and study it. I could find everything there is to know about being a husband, amen? But that's not the way it is. So when you're studying the marriage, you have to go to Genesis chapter 3 and find out where God instituted marriage. You see the first mention of husband and wife, amen? And then you study husband all the way through if you want to know about husbands. You study wife all the way through if you want to know about wives. You, you study marriage all the way through if you want to know about marriage, amen. You study children all the way through if you want to know about children, raising children. And that's how you study. So you study the Bible, you go to the doctrine of first mention. The doctrine of first mention, the first place you'll find Gentiles, we'll find over here in the Bible, in Genesis chapter number 10. But before we go to Genesis chapter number 10, we must go to Genesis chapter number 9 before, uh, be, so I can show you what God showed me. Look at Genesis chapter 9 and verse 20. Now I want you to understand what's happened. God has destroyed everything. Everybody upon the face of planet earth except eight people. Amen. We all know that, right? Are you with me? Say amen. amen. Noah, his wife, and Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and their wives, they have been saved. As soon as they get out of the ark, Joel becomes a, a man who becomes a husbandman, and he plants a vineyard. Amen. And that's where we pick up the story. In verse number 20, And Noah began to be a husband, and he planted a vineyard. And he drank of the wine, and was drunken, and he was uncovered within his tent. Now, I don't know about this. I've heard some various explanations about this. But in my mind, it just blows my mind that Noah would get drunk after seeing the world destroyed. After seeing God destroy everybody except eight people, why would you out and get drunk? It just blows my mind. I don't understand it. But I do understand this. You and I are no different. Amen? We've seen God bring judgment upon other people. We've seen God chasing us, and we run back to the same filthy, rotten sin again. Amen? We're a bad, in a bad shape, amen, but praise God for His mercy. Amen? Well, but that's not the most important thing here. The Bible says, verse 22, The Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brethren without. And Shem, Ham, and, and, Shem and Japheth took a garment laid upon their shoulders and went backward and covered the nakedness of their father and their faces were backward and they saw not their father's nakedness. I don't have time to discuss all that. I'll just uh, say that Ham did something that he should not have done. Amen. And in verse 24, And Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his younger son had done unto him. Now, let me give you some help right here. When you study your Bible, you understand that prior to the tabernacle, that Moses had, had built in the wilderness, the father of the family was the priest. That was his office. That's why when Job's children had a party, Job would make sacrifices for them just in case they had sinned. 
Now, when, when Adam came in to be priest, that no longer existed, okay? But he also had another office, the father of the family, and that was called the office of prophet. Now, and that's what the blessing was. You remember when Jacob is down there in Egypt, and, and, and they said to the children, your father's dying, and so you need to go see your father. And what their father would do, he would give a prophecy or called a blessing, and what it was was a prediction of what would happen in their life. You remember Joseph, uh, Joseph brought in Ephraim and Manasseh. He put Manasseh on this side so that Joseph, uh, Jacob's right hand would go on his head because he was the older, and he should get the best blessing. And his left hand would go on Ephraim's uh, because he should get the less blessing. And, and Jacob went like this this. And it made Moses mad. He lifted his hands up and he said, not so, Father, for this is the oldest. And you know what Jacob said? Blind Jacob, you know what he said? I know what I'm doing. You understand that when God's Holy Spirit came on the patriarch of the family to give the blessings, it was a divine prophecy. It was a prophecy given from God that would prophesy the future of that child. Are you with me? Amen. Little Bible lesson right there. Now, here's what happens. After Noah wakes up, he realizes what his son did to him. The Holy Ghost of God comes upon Noah and he prophesies about his sons. Look at verse number 25. And he said, Cursed be Canaan. A servant of servants shall he be unto his brethren. Now, Canaan was not Ham. Canaan was the son of Ham. Let me just say this to you, fathers. You understand something? That your sins can be passed on cursed to your children. It wasn't Canaan who sinned. It was his daddy who sinned. It was daddy who saw the nakedness. It was daddy who did the wrong thing. But the curse fell to his children. I just wanted to say that to you so you could understand, dear friend, that you and I as parents have a huge responsibility to make sure how we live our lives and what we do in raising our children. Can I get an amen right there? Now it says, cursed be Canaan. And many people think that God cursed Canaan and cursed them because He hated them. That is not the truth at all. God hates nobody. Amen? God loves mankind. The curse was put upon them because of their father. Amen? But God was simply saying what's going to happen to them. You're going to have a curse and you're going to be a servant. Now, history records that. We're not interested in getting to that. And I just want to say something. I wanted to make you understand that God has turned, has cursed nobody to go to hell. Amen? And God has, 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 doesn't hate anybody, amen, but life is what it is, amen. And I'll tell you what, if you take children who are raised in a home that's not right, they live under a curse. And except God comes into their life, that curse is going to ruin it. Amen. Now watch what he says next. And he says in verse number uh, 26, And he said, Blessed be the Lord God of Shem. And Canaan shall be his servant. And verse 27, God shall enlarge Japheth. He shall dwell in the tents of Shen. And Canaan shall be his servant. Now, prophecy given on his three children. Ham, here's the prophecy. Your children are going to be cursed. Shem, here's the prophecy. You have the Lord God. Your, your Lord God is blessed. Now, I want to just pause right here. Shem is who the Jews came from. The Jews are the descendants of Shem. God's got a lot to say to them later through the prophets Ezekiel and Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Omadiah, Elisha. So all he did was say to them, your, your God is the wonderful, the true God. Can I tell you that the God of Israel is the true God? Can I tell you that Jehovah is the true God? Can I tell you that, the, the, that Allah is not God? 
Can I tell you that Baal is not God and, and, and Buddha is not God and Confucius is not God? Amen? Amen. Amen. But the Jews rejected him. He just wanted to know, you have the greatest, you have the only God. And then I want you to say, Cain is going to be your servant. Now he comes to Japheth. Here's where you got to pay attention. He says of Japheth, now watch. And, and, and God shall enlarge Japheth. That word enlarge there means make Japheth the predominant group. Make them the power and the predominant group. And they shall dwell in the tent of Shem. That word tent there is the same word that is the tabernacle. Here's what God was prophesying. Japheth's descendants. I'm going to take Japheth's descendants and I'm going to make them the predominant group of people. I'm going to enlarge them. I'm going to make them the group that rules the world. And something else is going to happen. They are going to accept the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, the tabernacle is Jesus Christ. You understand, when you look at the tabernacle, you'll see it's all about Jesus, one door and only one, amen. You'll find that when you go in there, that all of the furniture's in the shape of a cross, amen. You'll find that every office in there, the priest represents Jesus, the lamb sacrifice represents Jesus, amen. You'll find that the laver represents Jesus Christ as the water of life, and, 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 the, and the lampstand represents Jesus as the light of the world, and the showbread represents Jesus as the bread of life, and the altar of incense represents Jesus, the intercessor between God and man, and the veil in the temple represents the flesh of Jesus Christ, which was broken for us to make way into the Holy of Holies, and that Jesus Christ himself went into the very Holy of Holies, as God and made the sacrifice in heaven for us for our sins. And when the Jews had the tabernacle, God was preparing them to receive Jesus. But they rejected Jesus. But God said there will be a group of people that won't reject Jesus. A group of people called the Japhethites. Amen. Well, now drop down to Genesis chapter 10 and let me show you the, the doctrine of first mention. Look at Genesis chapter 10 and verse 1. In this passage of Scripture, we have the genealogies. So-and-so begat so-and-so begat so-and-so. Do you love that stuff in the Bible? Amen. <laughs> Are you like me? Sometimes I just read that stuff wrote, man, just as fast as I can. I made God a promise I'd read all of the Word of God. Amen. So I read it. But so-and-so begat so-and-so begat so-and-so begat so-and-so begat so-and-so I've got that chapter done. Amen. Hey, I'm not real spiritual, amen. If you thought that, you were sorely dis uh, uh, disappointed, amen. Look at Genesis chapter 1 and verse, uh, uh, Genesis 10 verse 1. Now these are the generations of the sons of Noah. So here God gives us the generations. And he gives their names, their sons, Shem, Ham, Japheth. And unto them were sons born after the flood. This is how the earth was populated. Verse 2, the sons of Japheth. So now whose sons are we talking about here? Japheth's sons, all right? Are we with me? Everybody with me? Say amen. amen. You're with me. Now look at his sons. Gomar, Magog, Madai, Jabin, Tubal, Meshach, and Tyrus. If I didn't pronounce those right, you try better. Amen. And then he goes to the grandsons, the sons of Gomer, Ashkenaz, Riphath, Togomar, and sons of Jabin, Elishas, and Tarshish, and Kittim, and Dodanim. Now watch verse 5. Watch verse 5. Watch verse 5. By these were the isles of the what? Whose descendants are the Gentiles? Japheth's. Japheth's descendants are the Gentiles. Jesus said that the Jerusalem would be trodden underfoot until the time of the Gentiles be fulfilled. 
Don't, don't miss it. Now you say, I'm not convinced, Brother Houston. Go to verse 6. The sons of Ham, Cush and Rizram, Foot and, and Canaan. I'm not going to read all these because it goes all the way down to verse 20. Amen. And I don't want to go all the way down there. So drop to verse 18. The Arvidite, the Zemurite, the Hamathite, and afterward were the families of the what? Canaanites spread abroad. Verse number 19. And the border of the Canaanites. Verse 20. These are the sons of Ham. So the sons of Ham are called the what? Canaanites. The sons of Japheth are called the what? Gentiles. The sons of, of Ham are called the Canaanites. By the way, do you know who the Jews took the promised land from? They didn't take the promised land from the Arabs. The Arabs are the descendants of Shem. The Arabs were never in the Middle East before the Jews were. The Canaanites were there. When they came and took the promised land, they took it from the Canaanites' descendants of Ham. That's why they don't want excavating going on in Jerusalem and Israel, because every time they excavate, it proves that the Arabs were not there before the Jews. It is not their land. It belongs to God's people. He gave it to them from the Canaanites. Amen. Amen. Your Bible has shed a lot of light on this stupid stuff going on in the, in the news media. Amen. Well, you say, Brother Houston, I'm still... What are, you, are we done yet? No, look at verse 21. And, the, and unto Shem also. Look down at verse 31, because we'll not read all. These are the sons of who? Shem. All right, so God says there are three major people groups. Listen to me now. When I taught public, uh, public high school world history, our book began with this statement. All of the people of the world are made up of three people groups. I was just driving down the road and I turned on NPR. I love to turn that on and hear a slanted view of the news. Amen. And they said that DNA has proven that all human beings on the face of the planet Earth came from three family groups. You know, science finally caught up with the Bible. All they had to do is ask me. I could have told them we all came from one of three places. We came from Japheth, we came from Ham, or we came from Shem. Amen? Now, God says, here's the names of those groups. The Japhethites are the Gentiles. The Hamites are the Canaanites. And the Shemites, or the sons of Shem, are the Shemites. Now, that's what the Bible says. So now, when God's talking about the times of the Gentiles being fulfilled, He's talking about when the course of the Japhethite runs its, its course. Now, that's very interesting and very helpful. But I want you to turn now with me to Acts chapter 16. Go back to the prophecy of Japheth. Here's what, what, uh, what God said through Noah, that God would enlarge Japheth and that Japheth would dwell in the tabernacle or the tent of Shem. So let's look at the last one. Israel was God's chosen people. Amen? They still are God's chosen people. But Israel was put aside by God. Now, I don't have time to go into all this, so you'll have to listen to me and go home and study and trust me. But God, God married Israel. He made a covenant marriage between Abraham and Israel. And they were married. And when they played the harlot, how did they play the harlot? They doted upon the soldiers that came into them. They looked at, and here came the Assyrians, and here came all them. And they said, they defeated us, so they must be bigger than God. Well, God, you're not big boy anymore. The Assyrians are big boy anymore. And then spiritually they committed fornication by worshiping Baal and Ashtaroth and Molech. You see, when you put something else as God in your life, you just committed fornication against God. Yeah. That's still true today. 
If your money is more important to you than Jesus, you are an adulterer. Well, I'm not married to him yet. No, but under the God's way of marriage, you were betrothed to him the moment that you got saved. And just like Mary was betrothed to Joseph and was found having committed adultery and was going to put her away, you and I who put anything above Jesus have committed adultery against our Savior. And God said, I will not put up with adultery. And Israel, I'm putting you away. And when I put you away, here's what's going to happen. You're going to be trodden underfoot. Millions of Jews, billions of Jews have died a horrible death because they rejected God. And God said, you're not going to want my son. But there is going to be a group of people who do want him. And they are going to accept him. And that group of people is going to be the Japhethites. Now let me just stop here for a moment and tell you if you went to the next chapter in Genesis chapter 11, you'll find the Tower of Babel and you'll find the distortion of the people. If you take time to read and get out some maps, you'll find that the Japhethites, Gog and Magog, they went north. They settled in Turkey and Russia and spread through Europe. That's where the Japhethites went. You'll find that the Canaanites went to the Middle East and then down into Africa. And you'll find that the Shemites stayed in the Mesopotamia region for Abraham came out of the Ur of the Chaldees and they went into Asia. Just like to throw this out to you, how did they get to America? At one time all the land was together in the day of Peleg the earth was divided. When God created the earth, He put the land here and He put the water here. When the flood was over, they walked to the edges of the land. And in the day of Peleg, it's in your Bible, Genesis chapter 10, at least verse 25. In His day, the land was divided. God sent a great cataclysmic earthquake that hit the earth. And <laughs> here went the, this continent, here went that continent, here went all the islands. Amen. They didn't swim over. They didn't boat over. Amen. They didn't crawl over. They were on the land and God divided. That just helped you out. Amen. You can study that. If you don't agree with me, that's okay. You don't have to. Acts chapter 16 now, watch it. Prophecy, prophecy, God's prophecy. Does God always fulfill His prophecy? Does He always fulfill it the way we think He's going to? Here's Brother O'Donnell where we're getting in trouble. Here's where we have misled some of our people because we have adamantly told people how prophecy will take place when we don't know for sure. I know it will take place. I know a one world system of government is coming. I know an Antichrist is going to rule it. I have my opinions of how it's going to happen. But I can't tell you that, but I can tell you it's going to happen. And we look at prophecy sometimes when we're prophesying it, we act like we have 20-20 vision. You only have 20-20 vision when you're in hindsight. The only time I'll know for sure how this is all going to take place is after it takes place. I like what one preacher said. For now, this is the way I believe it's going to happen. But a hundred years from now, I may not think that because of how things come to pass. Amen. Acts chapter 16, verse 6, look at it. The Apostle Paul, when they had gone throughout Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Ghost to preach the word where? In Asia. 
And after they were come to Mysia, they essayed to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit suffered them not. And they passing by Mysia came down to Proaz. Verse number 9, don't miss it, miss it. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. And so Paul was trying to go with the gospel where? To Asia. He was trying to take the gospel to who? The Shemites. And the Holy Ghost said no. He tried again. The Holy Ghost said no. And then God gave him a vision, a man of Macedonia. You know where Macedonia is? Right north of Greece. You know, it started by Philip of Macedon, the father of Alexander the Great. You know who it was? It was a Japhethite Gentile nation. Europe. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Look at verse 10. And after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia. Surely gathering the Lord had called us to preach the gospel unto them. Therefore, loosing from Troas, we came with a straight course to Samothracia, and the next day to Neapolis, and from thence to Philippi, which is the city, uh, chief city of that part of Macedonia, and a colony were in that city abiding certain days. Now here's what happened. When he walked in there, he talked about where are the people meeting for prayer. He heard they were meeting for prayer down at the river. He went down to the river there. He met a lady by the name of Lydia, and there she accepted Christ as Savior, and the first Gentile church on the continent of Europe was started by the Apostle Paul. Now, God had said in His prophecy that the Jews would not love their God. They have the blessed God, but you're not going to accept Him. But the Japhethites will dwell in the tent of Shem. Amen? Now, I'm going to tell you what history records. History records that they accepted the gospel there. By the way, Turkey is a Gentile nation. The Turks are not Arabs. Isn't that amazing? Because they're Muslim, we think they're Arabs. They're not Arabs. I was listening to NPR again. Sometimes that's the only news I can get on there. So you have to forgive me, amen? I don't believe all that stuff, but I was listening to it. And when that Turkey president was deciding where he's going to help in all that ISIS situation, they made this statement, he is not an Arab. Well, that shocked most of us because we think he is. But if you get an Andaluvian map, I have several of them, you'll find out that the Japhethites are from Turkey into Europe. When he's preaching to those churches in Bithynia and Galatia, the church, the letters to the churches of Asia Minor, those weren't written to those weren't written to Shemites. Those letters weren't written to Hamites. Those letters were written to Japhethites. The last seven churches, the letters to the seven churches of Asia Minor were written to Gentile Christians. Warning Gentile Christians that if they didn't straighten up their churches, God was going to remove the candlestick and God was going to spew them out of their mouth. The message is for you and I tonight that we as the Gentile church of Jesus Christ, may I say, the last Gentile nation that has any God in it. Europe is devoid of spirituality. We are sending missionaries over there and they are knocking themselves out to win hardly anybody to Christ because they turn back their back on the Jesus that God gave them. And it's happening right here in this country right now. And if we don't have a revival and start winning this nation to Christ, we are done. We can no longer play church. We can no longer live our lives self-centered and self-focused. 
If we don't have a great moving to the altar, a great changing of our hearts and desires, and a great moving of the Holy Ghost in our cities, we are done. And when we are done, the judgment of God begins to fall. And you say, well, Brother Houston, that's wonderful. Because the rapture will take place before the judgment falls. No. I'm a pre-tribulational rapturist. Amen. But I'm not a pre-wrath rapturist. Because God is a consistent God. He is not a respecter of persons. Now when he had Israel, who had him and loved him, and they committed spiritual fornication, they had been trampled underfoot for 2,000 years. Now we independent Baptists, we decide we're going to love something more than God. We think that what God's going to do to us, Brother O'Donnell, he's going to rapture us. Yeah, well, it's getting pretty bad, preacher, but Jesus is coming back. I don't believe before you go to prison. Before you get hauled into court. Before children turn against their parents and parents against their children. And before God brings the same righteous, fair judgment to America that He brought to Israel. Brother Houston, that's pretty bad news. I know. But the good news is, he gave Israel lots of times to repent. The good news is, is that God doesn't want to drop the hammer on us. The good news is God isn't sitting up in heaven going, boy, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, I want to go down there and stop those, those American Christians. He's raised up some Caleb Garraways. He's raised up a guy named Rabbi Jonathan Kahn, who I don't agree with everything he says. He's raised up some men who I keep seeing, men in our denomination running around the country saying, there's hope, we need revival in America. The message is ringing loud and clear to the church. It's time to repent. It's time to have revival. God's arms are still open. But the door is closing. And it's closing fast. We don't have, I don't think we've got ten years, preacher. I don't think we have five years. I don't think we have five years to continue business as usual. I'll never set a date or a time. But I'm not talking about the rapture here. I'm talking about when God says, All right, I'm through. Just read in Ezekiel today, He said, If Moses and Noah and so and so were here, I wouldn't save anybody but them. I'm not trying to discourage you. I'm really not. In a minute, I'm going to give you some hope. But I need you to turn to Matthew 21. I'm getting ready to have a glory to God, hallelujah fit, amen. I may run the platform a little bit here. Do a little heaven, glory to God, hallelujah jig, amen. Can't help it, my mule might get loose. 
Matthew 21, verse 33. I promise you I'd show you America. Now you can disagree with me if you want to, but I believe it's as clear as the nose on your face. Amen. And that's probably why most of us can't see it because we can't see our noses. But get in the mirror and look at it. Amen. Look at it. Matthew 21. Jesus is speaking. He says, verse 33, hear another parable. There was a certain householder which planted a vineyard, hedged it round about, digged a winepress in it, and built a tower and let it out to husband and went into a far country. Now, you know, he's talking to here. He's talking to the Jews. And you know who the vineyard was? The vineyard was the Jews. We don't have time. It says that in the Old Testament. And he let his vineyard out to the husband. He went into a far country. So he said, here's what I did. I gave you my vineyard. What does the vine represent? It represents Jesus. What does the wine represent? It represents the blood of Jesus. He's saying, I gave you my son. Are you with me? Amen. I know this is a little hard. Stay with me and I'll try to get it done quickly. Look at verse 34. And when the time of the fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the husbandmen that they might receive the fruits of it. And the husband took his servants and beat one and killed another, stoned another. Talking about the prophets he sent to him. Amen. Verse 36. And again, he sent other servants more than the first and they did, did unto them likewise. Look at verse 37. Don't miss it. But last of all, he sent unto them his son saying, they will reverence my son. But when the husband saw the son, they said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him. Let us seize on his inheritance. And they caught him and they cast him out of the vineyard and slew him. This is what Jesus is saying. You're the vineyard. I have sent you prophets because you wouldn't give me my fruit. You wouldn't treat me right. So I sent my son and you killed him. Look at verse number 40. When the Lord there, Jesus asked the question, When the Lord therefore the vineyard cometh, what will he do unto those husbands? So he asked him a question. Now God gives them a Holy Spirit answer. Look at verse 41. They say unto him, He will miserably destroy those wicked men and will let out his vineyard unto other husbandmen and shall render him the fruits in their season. Here's what they said. He'll destroy those guys. You know what Jesus said? Trodden underfoot. Exactly what happened. And he said he'll give that, their vineyard to another uh, to other husbandmen. Now watch it in verse number uh, 42. Jesus saith unto them, Did you never read in the scripture the stone which the builder rejected? The same has become the head of the corner. This is the Lord's doing. The Lord did it. Why did he do it? He prophesied it. And it is marvelous in our eyes. Now watch verse 43. Whoo! I'm getting ready. Whew. I about contain myself here. Therefore say I unto you, talking to the Jews... The kingdom of God. Who is that? Jesus Christ. The kingdom of God. The gospel shall be taken from you, the Jews, and given to... What are the next two words? What? Nations? A nation. Has the light come on? A nation. What's this nation going to be? A nation bringing forth the fruit thereof. You know what nation that is, don't you, Brother Steve? One nation under God. You see, one of our problems is we don't know history. If you don't know history, you don't know the Bible. Yeah. Without knowing history, you can't understand the Scriptures. 
And what you don't understand is, is that there's never been but two nations ever started as Christian nations on the face of planet Earth. There's only been two theocracies that were ever started. The first one was Israel. The second was America. The other Christian nation that's been started in the history of the world is a nation called Liberia. Liberia was started by, uh, by one of our presidents as a place for the freed African slaves to go back and have their own country. But if you'll study your history, you'll find that this nation was founded by a group of people in 1607, Jamestown. In 1620, the Pilgrims. And in 1630, the Puritans. All of which, I have two interesting books here if you ever like to read about it. Here's a book called The American Dream, Jamestown and the Planning of American Christian Republic. Here's a book here called The Founding Fathers, Providence, Politics and the Birth of Religious Freedom in America. And when our founding fathers came over here, they came over here for many purposes, but one of their main purposes was that they might use America to evangelize the world. We have a group, a very interesting group, we, we celebrate Thanksgiving every year. That's because of a group of people called the pilgrims. You know who the pilgrims are? The pilgrims are a group of people called separatists. They lived in a, in a town called Scrooby, England. Separatists means they were not a, tr- a part of the Church of England. That means they were Baptists. And called themselves Baptists, but they were Baptists. What does that mean? They believed in the, in the autonomy of the local church. They believed that Christ was the head of the church, the pastor was the under shepherd. They believed that the scriptures were the sole authority of the church. They believed you need to get saved by being born again. They believed you could only join the church after being baptized by immersion. And they believed that once you became a body of the Christ, you need to live holy and godly and be faithful and pay your tithes. Amen. And you need, and so, but in England, King James, who gave us the King James Bible, was persecuting them because they wouldn't join the Anglican church. And so they said, we need some place where we can worship God according to the Scripture. So they went to Leyden, Holland. When they got to Leyden, Holland, they found that it was worldly. They didn't understand the language. They couldn't get good jobs. But most of what they didn't like was their children be taught about drinking and smoking and all those kind of things. And they began to get on their knees, began to pray, say, oh God, all we want to do is worship you according to the dictates of our conscience. God, would you please just give us some place where we can worship you and we can honor and glorify you. And you'll read John Robinson, the pastor's writings. You'll find he said, God turned our heart towards America. And in 1619, they got on the speedwell in the Mayflower and made three attempts to speedwell uh, sprang leaks and didn't speed too well, so they stayed home and they went on the Mayflower. And in 1620, they came into Cape Cod and uh, they came into Cape Cod and they gave us the first civil body politic. What does that mean? The first government in America. It's called the Mayflower Compact. If you'll read it, it says these words, In the name of God. For the furtherance of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is a Christian nation. It was started for the purpose of worshiping God. It was started for the purpose by their founding fathers to make sure the gospel got to the Indians and got to the lost people of the world. It was God's design for the Jews to take the gospel to the world. But God knew the Jews were not going to take it. And God also knew that there was going to be a group of people, and I believe maybe God ordained that. I don't know how to say that to you. You say what you want to. But God said, I know who's going to accept it. 
And here's what I'm going to do when the Jews reject me and they kill my son. I'm going to take that gospel from them and I'm going to give it to a nation that will bring forth the fruit thereof. And I'm telling you why you're blessed tonight. I'm telling you why you're rich tonight. I'm telling you why you have peace tonight. I'm telling you why we've had protection all these years. I'm telling you why we won the war for independence that we had no right winning. It's because God raised up this nation to be His light, to shine the gospel around the world. To render him his fruit. Providence. That means he's the only God. And it used to be that way in America. To render him praise. And we used to praise God around here. Even our leaders used to praise God around here. We used to, we used to have prayer to God around here. In return for that, God gave us peace and prosperity. He gave the wonderful things such as marriage and the family and not divorce and remarry and the church. And can I just go on? Really, if you'd stop and think, everything that's wonderful and blessed that we have that's bringing a blessing to our life, it all comes from this blessed book we hold in our hands. It is the fruit of being a Christian nation. And we've decided as a nation, and even independent Baptists, that we don't like this book running our lives anymore. We don't like these screaming, hollering, independent Baptist preachers named Ted Houston. Getting out here and messing with our little world we've built. That's built partially on Scripture and partially on personal opinion. Where in the world do you have a right to tell me how to live? I don't, but that book does. That book right there, listen to me. I want to help you. This is not a book of suggestions. Well, please. Pretty please, Brother O'Donnell, if you would. Can you hear God saying that? Pretty please, Brother Donald, don't commit adultery. We've lost some men in our churches. We've lost some men in our families. Don't bow your heads yet. We're not praying. My daddy never said please in his life. I'm not saying that was right. But he didn't have to say please. He's my dad. I'm glad he didn't say please. I'm glad he taught me not to be a whiner. Not to be a sensitive little sissy. You hurt my feelings. Grow up. It's for my good. I'm not trying to be mean. This is a good church. This part church is probably as close to what churches used to be as any I've been in. 
Good job, preacher. Thank God for you. Good job, people. Thank God for you. But I'm traveling the country going to independent Baptist churches would blow your mind. The music, standards, soul winning, it's all gone. The Bible's been replaced with the television. Prayer's been replaced with playing. People don't go soul winning. Preachers are CEOs of corporations. And they have a 9 o'clock tea time every Monday morning. May I say it's not wrong for a preacher to play golf. Just in case your pastor does. He deserves it once in a while. Well, you know, we've decided to take God's blessings and use them the way we want to for our own personal good and glory. It's mine! No, it's not yours. Every good and every perfect gift cometh down from the Father above. You're not your own. You're bought with a price. You don't have your right to live your life the way you want to live it. I'm not trying to be mean. You don't have the right to bow your neck and say, it's my life. I'll do what I want to. No, when you got saved, you, you, you forfeited that. God looks down and said, all I wanted from the Jews was they gave me what was my due. That they loved me with all their heart. The first and great commandment. If you love anything more than you love Jesus, you're committing adultery. I'm not trying to be, I'm trying to help you. I love my wife, I don't love her more than Jesus. She knows that. She'll have to live with it. And if she's spiritual, she will live with it. You see her shaking her head. She knows that. And she loves Jesus more than she loves me. And if she doesn't, I'm going to tell her to get right tonight. But I'm going to tell you what. If I've got a certain love I'm supposed to give to my wife, and I go give it to some other woman, do you think my wife's supposed to accept that? Love not the world, neither things are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. God's looking down. He said, what happened to loving me with all your heart? What happened with making me first in your life? What happened with having a desire to please me above everything? What happened with obeying my commands? What has happened? You have set up gods in your life. Can I tell you what my God was in my life? Football. My goal in life was to be a college football coach. When God tried to, get, to become God in my life, I said, no, I'm going to serve football. You know what God had to do to break me? He put one of my players in the hospital with a bleeding brain concussion. 
And I drove to the hospital to visit that young man's parents and see that gross, gruesome sight of a head swelled up like this in a trachea and machines breathing for that boy. As I'm driving in the car, God said, you taught him how to block, you taught him how to tackle, but you never taught him how to go to heaven. You're in love with football. You love football more than me. You love football more than souls. You love football. It is your God. You have a problem. And I'll tell you what, God broke me and I fell on an altar said, God, I'm sorry. You are first in my life. That's called repentance. All of us have something in our life, I believe tonight, that God wants us to repent of. And I don't think it's a stranger to you. I think He's been dealing with you about it. And you haven't been willing to let go. And God's message to His church is, if my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked way. Listen, then will I hear from heaven. And then will I heal their land. Look, I don't think you're a bad church. I think you're a great church. Everybody here is probably a whole lot better Christian than me. But I don't believe that we're totally right with God. And I believe God's looking for some place to get totally right with Him. Because if He could find some place to get totally right with Him, if He could just find one place to get totally right with Him, He would pour out His blessing. And He would heal our land. Turn to Revelation chapter 3. I don't have time. We could go through it again and do it again. Ezekiel, he says, I sought for a man among them. A man. Stand in the hedge, make up the gap. That I might heal the land. And I found none. He's just looking for one man. Hey, listen, 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 listen! Elijah said, I'm the only one that had not bailed the knee to bail. At some time, that's the way you feel. But God said, I got 7,000 who haven't. Well, guess what, Brother O'Donnell? I think there's a whole lot more than 7,000 independent Baptists. I think America's got a whole lot more than 7,000 people who haven't sold out. So I tell you, we got hope, brother. We got hope, brother. We got all the hope in the world that God will heal America if God's people will get right. I wish, Revelation 3, I wish... By the way, this is God's consistency. Hey, why hasn't he come back yet? Second Peter 3, 9. God is not slack concerning his promise on some income slackness. Talking about second coming. Why has he come back? He's long-suffering. Why has he come back? He's long-suffering. Why has he come back? He's not willing that any should perish. You know what happens if Jesus comes back tonight? Billions of people go to hell. You know what? Many of them will be not able to discern their left hand from their right hand. He sent Jonah to Nineveh. <laughs> I don't want to destroy you, Nineveh. Repent! Repent! They did repent. Jonah got mad. What a, what a dummy. Amen. But you and I, maybe we'd have done the same thing. And God said, couldn't I? Shouldn't I have cared about those children? Look, if you don't want to get right, think about your grandchildren. 
Think about your children. Don't your children deserve to have God's blessings longer? Don't they deserve to have God pour out His blessings? Don't they deserve to be able to meet freely in church? Don't they deserve to be able to live freely, not locked up in some jail, not persecuted, beaten, and killed? Don't they deserve what I have been given? I've lived in the best years. I've had the best blessings. God's been so good to me. But my kids and my grandkids are looking at a terrible situation. We'll do something. My grandkids aren't going to be able to hear the name of Jesus. God didn't cause this. God ended up in heaven licking his lips to bring it. He's up in heaven sending the same message he sent every time he was getting ready to bring judgment. I've got grace. I've got mercy. Please won't you repent. How do you know? Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 through the end of the chapter. This is the last day church, the Laodicean church. Laodicea, Turkey. This is a Gentile church. This is America churches. Because we're the last Gentile nations that's got. Amen. He writes to them. Verse number 15, he says, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. And would thou were cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. He says, I see your works, church. He says, you're neither cold nor hot. Now, Brother O'Donnell, when I was a kid, I heard a preacher say this, God's saying, cold, that's lost and on your way to hell. Hot, that's saved. I just accept it because the preacher said it. Sound good to me because I went a Bible scholar. Still not a Bible scholar, but one day I got to thinking, God doesn't want anybody to go to hell. He's not talking to lost people, he's talking to saved people. So what do you mean cold or hot? We all have our opinions, Amen. And so you have your pen, but here's what God told me, okay? I said, God, what's that mean? He said, Ted, have you ever been cold? I said, growing up in Kansas with nothing to break the wind? It's 20 to 20, minus 20, and the wind's blowing about 40 miles an hour. I guess I've been cold. And you know what he asked me? He said, were you comfortable? I said, no, God, I wasn't comfortable. He said, have you ever been hot? I said, yes, God, I believe so. It's 100 degrees outside, and I'm up in that tin barn up there. I'm putting those last few bales of hay up in there. It's about 130 up there, and I'm, I'm sweating green, amen. <laughs> I said, yeah, I've been hot. He said, were you comfortable? Now, listen to me. Don't miss this. He said, that's what I mean is going to be the condition of the last day church. They're going to be comfortable. You wonder why most of us don't make changes in our life? Because we're comfortable. You know why we don't want revival to take place? It's going to mess up our comfortable life that we have designed and made for ourselves. I'm just going to have to get on fire for God. I'm going to have to put Him first. I might have to sell some of that stuff I got. Or I might have to just put it on the shelf somewhere. And I might have to change and rearrange my schedule. 
And I'm pretty comfortable. Brother Houston, what did you come in here for and mess up my comfort? Well, I can't, but if God does, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. As a mother eagle, stirreth up the nest. Boy, you're too comfortable. It's time to get out and fly. It's time to go do what eagles do. <laughs> Boom! Out of the nest you go. That's what God's wanting to do in our churches. He's wanting to turn it upside down. And we're not done yet. He says, I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. He says, here's your problem. Thou sayest, I am rich. Look, I'm not against riches. People think I'm against riches. I'm not. My name's Jimmy. Take all you give me. I hope God blesses you abundantly. I said that this morning. Hope he makes you a billionaire. As long as you'll give it to him. Here's what we said. I'm rich. Increase the goods. I have need of nothing. You know where we found a place? Hey, I'm pretty good. I go to church, read my Bible. I don't smoke, I don't chew, I don't cuss, I don't go with girls that do. I run a bus route, I go soul winning. I'm pretty good. I don't need revival. You don't? I do. You don't need more of the Holy Ghost? I do. You don't need to remove from you all of those hindrances and those things that are keeping you from being what you know God wants you to be. Well, I do. I know I'm not what I ought to be. I know there's things hindering God using me. I know that I have let stuff in my life that is not sin, but it is not helping me spiritually. Just quite frankly, I'm hanging on pretty tight, preacher. And I'm not willing to let God rip them from my hands. And I'm the reason why we're not having a revival. Amen. Look what he goes on to say. Thou knowest not. He said, you don't even see it. You're wretched, miserable, poor, naked, and blind. He gives us some positive stuff. Now, look at verse 18. I counsel thee to buy me gold, tried in the fire. You know what he's saying? You need to get out and suffer for me. You need to get out and suffer for me. You know why a lot of us don't go witnessing? Because there's a little bit of suffering. I've never been hit. I've never been kicked. I think maybe I've been cussed a few times. I've never had anybody spit at me. I've had a few people shut the door in my face. I've had a lot of people look at me like I was a weirdo. Can I tell you, I don't like that. And so it's just easier for me just not to talk to people about it. Well, who cares what I'm going through? I'm supposed to suffer for him. He goes on to say, and white raiment, that's talking about getting sin out of your life. And he says, anoint thine eyes with ice. You know what that's saying? Start getting spiritual understanding. Tonight I tried to give you some eye salve. I tried to open your eyes to where we're at and what's happening. And then look at these next verses. It says in verse 19, watch it, look at it, look at it with me in the Bible. As many as I love, I coddle. I feel sorry for them. 
<laughs> I'm not trying to be mean, but that's what we want. Give me a Joel Osteen. I don't want to go someplace where there's conviction. I don't want to be in a church where there's commitment. That ain't this church, praise God. I don't even know why I'm preaching except the Lord told me to, so I'll do it. He said, I rebuke and chase us. What's the next statement? Be zealous, therefore. You know, that means be a zealot. It means be a fanatic. Be a fanatic! Now, I'm not talking about being a weirdo. I'm not talking about offending people. I'm talking about why don't you just get so zealous for God that you would fly a plane into the, into the uh, towers. That you would charge hell with a squirt gun. That you would give anything or do anything that God said for you to do. And you'd gladly go with a smile on your face. And look at the next word. Boy, don't miss it. Be zealous, therefore, and what's the word? Repent. He says, here's how you fix your problem. You recognize you've become comfortable. You recognize you're not suffering for Jesus, not living as good as you ought to. And you don't know enough about the Bible. So you're living according to the humanism of the world instead of the teaching of the Scriptures. And now, God, I love you so much. I will love do anything. And God, I repent. Oh, God, please forgive me. Oh, God, I don't ever want to do that again. If you go to an altar and pray that prayer, and you go back and be right what you were, you didn't truly repent. I wish I could make people repent. If the Holy Ghost works in your heart enough tonight, there may be some repentance. I don't know if he's working or not. Only you know. Now watch, we're not done. He says... In verse number 20, don't, no, don't miss it. Behold, talking to the last day church, I stand at the door and knock. Community Baptist Temple. Evangelist Ted Houston. Assistant Pastor Steve Cavanaugh. I'm knocking. If any man, I like it, hear my voice and open the door, I'll take him to heaven. That isn't what it says. But that's what we've interpreted as it's saying. Not what he says. He says to the church on the earth, if you'll open the door, I'll come in. And I'll sup with you. He ain't talking about bringing judgment. He's talking about bringing his presence back. (laughs) I believe with all my heart that God is not wanting to bring judgment to America. I believe what God's wanting to do is bring Jesus back into the church. So that the church can have the impact that it's supposed to have on the world. 
so that the world can be affected to the place where God says, a little more time. A little more time. A little more time. Look, I know Jesus is coming back. We're not going to stop it. And may I say, if he came back tonight, it'd be the hallelujah fit of my life. But I'm not deceived, folks, into believing that we can continue to do the way we are and expect God to deliver us by the rapture. Come on, be honest with me. Don't most of us talk about how bad it is? Something's got to change. Surely the Lord's going to come back and deliver us. I hope He does. If He does, hallelujah, glory to God. I believe in Him coming back. I do believe in Him delivering us. But I don't believe God will be able to stand and look at Israel and say to Israel, I was just and fair with you when I didn't make America's Christians pay for their fornication. You see, He is not a respecter of persons. He is just in judgment and mercy. And you don't have to be a rocket scientist to understand judgment's coming. But you do, have to, you do get a lot of hope if you think about it, that mercy's still available. And tonight, God's message is still, be zealous and repent. And listen, I'm looking for a church that will throw wide open the doors. So I can come in there and I can do a great moving of the Holy Ghost that will affect not only the church, but will affect another church in that area. That will affect that community. That will affect another community. Just like happened in 1754. And just like happened in 1853. And just like could happen in 2015. And I really believe the mercy may not be there after this year. And I'm not trying to move you. I wish somehow, Pastor, I could stir up revival. If I could make a revival happen, I would. But there ain't no preacher can make a revival. I didn't bring it in my briefcase. The working of the Holy Spirit in God's heart and God's people totally obeying is what brings revival I've been praying for revival I'd like to see it happen tonight I'd like anywhere because time's running out and my precious grandbabies are running out of time I need God's people, myself included, to let the Holy Ghost work. I want to tell you this. Tonight, I'm not, I don't want anybody working anything up. If it's not sincere, ain't no reason in doing it. But if God's Holy Spirit would move in just one life tonight, it would be worth the time I spent. It would be worth the miles I drove. It'll be worth the months that I'm away from my wife and she stays at home and I travel the road because I just want to see God show His mercy to America. 
We have got to have revival. I ask you to stand with your heads bowed, your eyes closed. Holy Ghost.